freedom and censorship can't exist in the same world. And that's true whether it's the government or private corporations who do the censoring. Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, and welcome to the Coleman Nation podcast. It's a show where I sit down with guests to discuss the future of free expression and thought in our interconnected world. Here, we will focus on issues involving social media, cancel culture, and free expression that everybody who cares about ideas or freedom should be wrestling with. Hello, culminators. Uh, today, I'm gonna I'm gonna press my guest. He's not ready for this. I'm gonna ask him some. Oh, he's he's giggling. He's laughing. Of course, I'm speaking about Chase Geyser. You know that because it says so right below whatever you're looking at or listening. If you're listening in the car, please keep your eyes on the road. But if otherwise, I, we're going to get to the bottom of this Chase Geyser phenomenon because I just don't buy his explanation. I got a little bit out of him when I appeared on his show. And you're gonna, I'm going to show you in a second exactly what I'm talking about. But first, let me welcome Chase officially, and we'll throw, throw him up on the screen there. I'm sure he's, of course, everything's always on the screen. That's the way we do it. Um, how are you today, this morning, this fine day? You're in, you're still in Austin, right? Yes, sir. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I am in warm and sunny Austin, Texas. Yeah, well, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty warm and sunny here in Newark as well. Here's here's what I'm getting at, Chase. We're gonna, I'm going to just kind of try. I don't think I really can. I'm going to kind of try to side back, sandbag you a little bit. This was my appearance on, on Chase's podcast. And it's a very important one for me usual droning but first of all one important thing about this appearance was that look at look how awful i look and look how good chase looks okay well right fine so he's better looking and he's younger but besides that that made me buy a new camera <laughs> uh i mean it would because i said how, you know the difference in quality there was just you know depressing now i actually think today you're not using that same camera no, that one had some overheating problems. So I, I do have a, I have a different uh, technology, but it's actually a more expensive camera. More expensive I'm not sure if it camera. looks good. Well, I, you know, it's, it, it, we'll see when it, when we see the real, you know, the real thing. But I think this time I'll be able to match you at least in terms of, of um, video quality. During our discussion, like many people listening to this were wondering what I was wondering about and asked you. And I'm still kind of wondering about it. What am I talking about? I'm talking about this. Who's Chase Geyser? Who is Chase Geyser? So look, he's one American. Great. We're all one American. Some of us are arguably large enough to, you know, constitute more than one American, but that's not how it goes. This is confirmation that Chase and I are speaking today. So here you look, okay, so let's, what's the, what, the guy's a podcast, fine. I mean, he also wrote a book, which is coming out in a year. So in other words, he hasn't done, he hasn't written anything. I could claim I'm going to write a book for, in January, 2023 also. Oh, so let's just click through here. One American podcast. Okay, so, you know, website, let's go to the website. I hope all these links are working. <laughs> no, I, I actually ran through it. Plus, we're, record, we're recording anyway. This is actually a, model, a lot like the moon landing, completely pre-canned and never actually, this podcast never happened. And here are, here are the guests that, that are featured 
I, I understand. I'm not a featured guy. I'm not like, you know, these superstars on here. So that's fine. I don't, I, I'm not that. I, so, but I'm here for information, not about myself. I know everything about myself. About, so let's, let's figure out what Chase is about. He's, Chase is the host of an American podcast. I feel like I'm in a, a, in a, in a little bit of a loop here. Chase lives, works in podcasts in Austin. And, and, and of course, he's well, looking for more of the same. And of course, any one of these links, they're just going to me, lead me back here and tell me that, that he has, he has a podcast. Great. Everyone has a podcast. Okay. Now, all right. So Chase has been on Twitter since April 2009, which is four months after I came on. And he must have been 10 years old. But come on, Chase, what's the story? What, what do you, what? How do you make a living? What do you, you came out of nowhere, you made it this paid podcast, you got great guests on like almost immediately plus me. What's, what's the deal? Come on, tell me, tell me the real story. What, what do you do all day? Where do you do it? Who, who, how, you know, is the CIA paying you? Is it the, is it, is it, you know, is it Putin? The, you know, come on. So I, um, I started, uh, I, I signed up for Twitter in, I think it said April, 2009. That would have been my junior year of high school. And I was inactive until- You may as well have been 10 years old. This part, you know? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I, um, I was inactive until last, the beginning of last year, the beginning of 2021. You, know, and, you, you reserved your name. Right. I forgot about it. Right. And so I um, basically got to the point, particularly after January 6th, where I was you can't, exceeding- you can't, Okay. During that time, you were in yeah. suspended animation, or you lived a life. <laughs> yeah, I had a normal life. <laughs> what happened in this normal pre-podcast, pre-social media life that has enabled you to collect books and buy cameras and, and start a podcast with mm. re relatively high production values? Are you a, a petroleum heir? Are you a, um, a tobacco heir? Uh, what do you do? Do you work? Did you yeah, work? I'm in the I'm in the uh, fentanyl business. No, I uh, <laughs> I um I own a small advertising business. Uh, I started in 2016, so I graduated from college in 2014. I worked for a company that owned 60 Sprint mobile stores, where I learned how to do digital marketing. Uh, and then two and years after that, I started taking clients in the evenings, and uh, that's when I started my business. So I've been doing that full time since 2016. Social media advertising. And I do remember now that you did tell me that, in fact. So the point is that when you were ready to look, when you decided to launch, and, and I love, and, I, and I'm going to ask you to repeat your origin story on the podcast, because it's really inspiring and sure. important. You knew exactly what to do. Uh, like, yeah. I yeah. mean, maybe not on the, maybe not specifically on the podcast piece of it. I don't know how much of that was, was part of what you were doing in the past, but digital marketing was something you already understood. Uh, That's right. And, and Jeremy, my producer will tell you that I was a pretty quick study myself because of, Unlike you, I wasn't ignoring Twitter for, you know, I, I mean, I, for years, I probably got what, you know, I, I didn't very, very little with it because there wasn't really anything to do. The world wasn't coming to an end. And in those days, you could read a newspaper or listen to the news and actually get news. So right. it wasn't, you didn't have to re rely on Twitter to find out what was actually happening in the world. So now, now we understand that you're a regular guy, you, you know, you were working, you were having some success, obviously, because you were able to start your own business. You call it a small advertising agency. Fine, I'm not going to push you on that, how big it really was, how small it really was, but it was enough for you to make a living. And when you decided that it was time for the one to, to be heard, you knew exactly how to make it happen. 
and why t tell us again tell us again you never told us you never told the culminators tell the culminators why did you do it well it's hard for me to pinpoint one exact reason um but it it really came to me after sort of between the November election and January 6th, and then especially after January 6th, where I just felt exceedingly frustrated with um, the the narrative, the corporate press, um, and feeling as if I didn't have a voice as an American. I mean, that and, was an incredible period of time, wasn't it? When you think back on it mm -hmm. from, the, from, from election day, well, I mean, all the way to January 6th is, yeah. From election day, basically through January, was insane. It was it was it was the, the 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 psychic pressure. If you care about these things and watching the way things were unfolding, was was unbelievable. The mass formation psychosis, which which was explained away as mass formation psychosis. Right. The belief in mass formation psychosis is just That's mass right. formation psychosis. Oh, I, I forgot about that. Very good. Yeah, that was very. <laughs> And yeah, and so I decided to start this podcast and um, and try to build my Twitter following just because I want more influence, frankly. You have something to say. Mm -hmm. And you, you knew that you knew you knew that you had a way to, to make it heard. Isn't it? A, so someone someone who is in marketing and advertising. We tend to think so much of those fields as very data-driven and metrics-driven. Uh, you have, you know, I, I have some familiarity with the world of, of network advertising, and I'm familiar with just how commodified and, you know, they're, they're just, they're, there are formulas, there are algorithms to doing so much of this. But what you've done, notwithstanding your, notwithstanding, but having had this experience in the commercial influence field you believed that one american can get on a get on a, make a podcast have conversations with people have it heard and make a difference and make a difference would you have given i mean was that the, despite your professional experience or because of your professional experience that's a good question. And I think it's to, it's to, it's to be determined whether or not I'll, I'll, I'll be able to actually make a difference. Oh, so that was um, the next question is in a year, sure. in the year and, and small change that since you started this, right, it was April of last year. You have you felt as if any kind of difference has been made. But I want to first go back to the snapshot of it's March 2019. And you're now starting to plan this to get not 20, 2021 and you're starting to put this together you say to yourself what am i what am i doing i mean there's like there's no metric for this there's no uh, there's no q score there's no like are people even listening anymore i mean I, okay i have a square jaw and a full head of hair so i know that that's that helps right um or did you say to yourself the right based on my experience there is an audience for the right message people do listen they're not only manipulated they're not only npcs you know being herded into you know different off ramps what was your thinking along those lines i mean i i, I it's a question that i obviously that i assume i know the answer to by asking it because why would you waste your time 
Sure. You know, well, you, you, if you if you were off Twitter for all those years and not doing anything, you're obviously you're not the kind of egomaniac that I am who, who smears himself all over the internet, like my wife says. So you obviously thought it, it really could make a difference. I think so, but I think it was more than any sort of like altruistic. I'm gonna make a difference type mentality. I you wanted um, to sell pillows. Yeah, I want to sell pillows. I um, I just felt compelled to do it. Um. And it wasn't out of sort. It wasn't out of any sort of morality or or philosophy. It's just that I've always been fascinated with politics ever since I read The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand when I was seventeen, and I, I've kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off, and uh, because there's no money in it, it's not a practical thing to you know I'm going to be a social media influencer and that's how I'm going to feed my baby, right? It's not practical. And so I finally got to a point where I was a frustrated first enough. First I'm hearing. <laughs> right. I was a frustrated <laughs> enough and b financially um, uh, secure enough to just sort of take the risk. This podcast that I've done is something that I would do even if I didn't have any followers. Like having conversations with you is is something that I would do, even if there were three people listening, right? Or if I had three followers, uh, getting to meet Roger Stone, Gavin McInnes, these sorts of, uh, of, of, of people has been really rewarding to me personally. So it's not so much about a goal that I'm trying to accomplish as, uh, as much as it is, as it is about me um, doing something that I really enjoy and that really matters to me. Well, I think you, I think you make an important point. I mean, you can't, I, I might, did you listen to podcasts? Do you listen to podcasts? Yes. So I, you know, anyone who has ever listened to, to me, well, no, I didn't. I don't say it all the time, but I don't. There, there are some. There are very few exceptions. I just don't have the patience to listen to other people talk, uh, which is, it, I don't, it's really not because of intellectual arrogance. Believe me, there's pl I have plenty of intellectual arrogance, but I don't think that's the reason. I think the reason is I just don't have. I could have stopped at the word patience. I just don't have the patience. But sure. there, are, I mean, there are actually there are a couple. I I will find myself listening to Michael Knowles from time to time because I just love mm -hmm. the guy. And on YouTube, I listened to um, Liberal Hive Mind, who I never even heard of until someone told me that he mentioned a tweet of mine. And I, I like, I like, I like his, you know, I like the, the, the what is it? The something of his jib, the, the fit of his jib, not the fit of his jib, the snip of his bib. There's some, there's some kind of um, jape of his wig. Anyway, I like the way he does it. I like, you know, in and out pretty, and, you know, snappy and snarky. But the fact is doing it is fun. Doing it is a lot yeah. more fun than listening to it. And I think it's, do you think it's possible at all? Like you talk about guys like Gavin and Roger Stone, whom I've never met or spoken to. Are, do you think that is any way that, having a conversation with guys like that who are influential in their own ways, notwithstanding how much has been done to undercut their influence is a, is a kind of influence in and of itself that they come away from the interview, maybe thinking about a question you asked or thinking about some aspect of your conversation that maybe makes a difference in their way of seeing things. Or, or do you think that's a little bit optimistic? You know, I, I'd, I'd be flattered to know, uh, uh, to, to know that to be the case. Um, I don't know whether well, think or not. Of yourself as a, think of yourself as a podcaster. Let's forget that, sure. that someone like, like Roger, who's even sure. older than I am, right? And it's true, the older you get, the harder it is to make a dent in the rock. I get that. But shortly you would agree, because I would certainly say that every conversation you have as a podcaster, 
makes you, enriches you. I mean, like you've you've definitely always learned something. I, I I've had several guests where I've gone in com, com, expecting conversation A and had conversation B and really got mm. schooled. You you would agree, right? That you're learning. You're not. It's not just a show. You're listening and you're learning yourself. Absolutely, absolutely. The people that I have on my podcast are are um, in a different league than I am. Uh, for the most part. So uh, every time I have a conversation with, 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 with a guest at, I walk away feeling like I got more than they did. <laughs> well, that's pretty good. Right. So if they're willing to come on and you don't, and you recognize that there's almost no way to break through to, to be the next Joe Rogan, it's not going to happen for the vast majority of us. Jeremy is always encouraging me, but you know, a year and a, I guess we started around the same time, actually. Was it, when did you start at April of last year? started in May, 2021. I think you started a couple months later. No, I think it was around the same time, actually. It was? Okay, great. Yeah, but I wasn't on video until I did my first Michael Knowles interview. I see. Because as I've mentioned a couple of times, just, well, actually this happened with Jack Murphy too. He was on camera, he was in the studio mm -hmm. and he was recording because he was not going to let anyone, you know, say he said something. Or no, he wants to have control over the media himself, which was cool. We weren't confident. I wasn't confident enough yet to, to, go, to go live, but with with Michael, who was just there. It just seemed so perfect. Let's just start recording it. Let's see how it goes. You know, I've, you know, and since then it's been, you know, my love affair with the camera and that smiling bald face that I see, you know, during, during these conversations has only, only, blo only blossomed. So, so you're growing. I mean, here's like, I guess the question all of us ask, maybe, maybe you have an answer to it. Yeah. You're growing. Yeah. It's fun does it become something what what do you think it looks like in two or three years you know like when you've done how many episodes are in are you now you probably do a lot more I than i do think i'm in i think i've done 90 i'd have to look for sure somewhere yes. around 90 so this is i'm in the 70s this is this will be something in the 70s um when it's 150 when it's 200 and the subscriptions have pretty much leveled out right? Because you're not really doing anything more and you're not going to get Donald Trump on and you're not going to, does you think you're going to still want to do it? Yeah, because I haven't gotten sick of it yet, but I've gotten a little bit spoiled. When I started, I was happy to have anybody on. And now that I've had that's such great guests <laughs> like yourself, I, uh, no, that's not true. But, but uh, now that I've had such great guests it's I'm, I'm a little bit spoiled in terms of um who i want to who i actually want to spend an hour with to talk to and that's um, tricky that's true and the mm -hmm. fact is so this is your opportunity because you do have even if even if your subscriptions aren't doubling every month you know you have you have a you have a base of people who are subscribing and downloading and listening you know you have an opportunity this is something i've always considered you know i think a great opportunity on twitter as someone who, you know, got into meaningful numbers a few years ago to bring to people's attention, people that they haven't necessarily heard of. And on the, on the one hand, you want, you want the sexy guest that you can pitch and, and do that fantastic thumbnail for. And, you know, that has all this, all this SEO goodness to it. I mean, you know, if I do something with Michael Malice, Mr. SEO, or, you know, Count Dankula, I know I'm going to get unearned 
views just because of sure. who they are. On the other hand, if I, you know, I bring on guys, I don't want to name any names, but one of my guests are much less well-known. Like me. Well, but no, you're, I don't think you're, okay, fair enough. You're not Cantacula. But you, I'm even talking about people even, well, you know, you do have sure. 90,000 90, followers, 70,000. Um, 70, about 75,000 on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. So that's a great opportunity for you and for your listeners and for them. And often they're every bit as interesting as the, you know, as, as the well-known people. And also right. the well-known people often have a spiel that they're just ready to give. Not always. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's one guy I'm thinking of in particular who the inter it wasn't even an interview. He was on autopilot. He had all, he's a, he's a brilliant guy, super, super successful. He knows exactly what he wants to say to promote his book. You just really have to cue him or take a, let him take a breath by asking something. And on the other hand, you know, people who have to kind of build, you have to build up from, from the bottom up. That's more of a sort of, would you call this journalism? Whatever it is we're doing, podcastism challenge, hosting challenge, you know, that then someone who comes with all that equity, all that viewer equity, as soon as they start out, you know, who, on the other hand, here I am, you know, the space that I occupy and live in, not just as a creator, but as a consumer with social media is kind of a, kind of a strange one. So like when I had Count Dankula on and he was explaining to me how he became so famous and I was not familiar with the story. Like everyone, I, we, he followed me and I, we followed each other a while ago. I knew he was like a really well-known internet guy and that he had been associated with, you know, the alt-right or the alt-light or something, but I didn't know the story. I didn't know what it, I didn't know how he had gotten to be so and 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 I was so smitten with him. Oh, in fact, he's one of the guys I also listen to, his Mad Lads stuff. And you know, the reason is that almost regardless of the subject, just listening to that Scottish accent is so worth the price of admission. So I you know, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's it's a super fun thing to do. You do have to have a budget, you know, hopefully eventually at some point it becomes now, for me, on the other hand, I can also rationalize, not only can I rationalize it, but I, I think it's a successful rationale. It has done wonders for my social media engagement in general. As you know, having content and having video content in particular does all kinds of things for you on other platforms as well. And as someone who is trying mightily to drive um, traffic to my law firm's website and to my own, you know, uh, law related professional the stuff where I actually make a living from it's been fantastic you know I've gotten really really you know it, it makes a difference for me to have 200,000 followers and as rather than 100, even 130 which is what I was at I was moving sideways in that band for a long time as statistically unlikely as that might seem to you um you on the other hand you're not promoting your other business there's no reference to it on the website, on the About Me. In fact, again, on the About Me, you don't even really know what else you do. I mean, it does kind of seem as if you, that, you want the, the, the Chase Geyser um, identity on the internet to be about the podcast. Yeah. That's it, you know? I'm doing it for the sake of it. That's exactly it, yep. Yeah, and you know, one of the most rewarding things that you, you mentioned a lot, a lot there, and, and one of the things that uh, came to mind was one of the reasons that I like having less influential guests on who I find interesting is because I think it helps um, 
safeguard the authenticity of the podcast. So if I were to just have big names or just go after, you know, the sort of A or B list sort of conservative influencers, um, I was concerned that I would lose the authenticity of, of the show. And I want to be able to, um, I make an effort to have conversations that I feel are interesting, regardless of the status of the guest. That's one thing. And the second thing, and I don't know if you've had this experience run, but I've actually made some great friends out of doing this podcast thing. Like oh, Nikki, sure. Klein, Nikki Klein has become a close friend of mine. I talked to Matt Couch three or four times a week. And so the people that I've actually developed relationships with, it's been really sort of a life-changing experience um, uh, in, in that sense. And I think for those reasons alone, that that's enough to keep me doing this for you know years to come as long as I don't get deplatformed. <laughs> I, I think you won't. I think you know, I think you you understand as and I, as I, I follow think the I rules. Do. Yeah. Well, nobody knows what following the rules means, but you but but you know what kind of what the unwritten rules are. And right. and sometimes I'll use a phrase and people are oh, Ron, you're they're gonna kill you for that. I can't believe you just no, I know I really know what I'm doing. I really I know because first of all even though Twitter doesn't necessarily love me and they, I, you know, I spent years being shadow banned and not, but I do think that there's a certain amount of respect that whoever it is who has my file knows that I'm using certain words in ways that should not be deemed offensive and that other people might not get away with because they don't have the track record. Mm. But your point about making friends is so great. I mean, there are all these people who I followed for years and Dan is almost an extreme case. I don't know if he considers me a friend. I, like I said, I fell in love with him, but guys who I knew a little bit and we would maybe DM from time to time, but after a couple, you know, like I've had Josh hammer twice. We met in person once in between the two interviews, but you spend an hour, 45 minutes talking to someone literally face to face. It's every bit as much face to face as it is in meat space, except there's no bad breath, right? And I don't know if you're wearing pants, but besides that, it's pretty much, and in fact, you're forcing yourself to have a conversation with the other person in a way that's a lot harder to do at a reception or a cocktail party or some, you know, or some, or some event. So yeah, I, I mean, he and I are, he, he and many, many other people like that are I'm much closer and friendlier with now. And, and, made completely new friends you know people who i definitely would have never had any kind of relationship with before so yeah i mean it's really it, it is an it is a form of social interaction that didn't exist until you know 10 years ago but also it's a form of micro publishing that is enabling people to have conversations about what are often forbidden subjects you know if they're macro and, you know, historians will look back on this time, you know, whether anyone is ever going to download all those podcasts and listen to them all, I don't know. I'm sure they'll listen to ours, of course. Of course, but, first. Right. It is, it, it is, it's an incredible phenomenon. And the more you get into it, the more you understand how, how cool it is and how, you know, expanding it is for, for you as, as a person. And if, if, as I have, you can get some professional benefit out of it, so much the better. Um, you record you, do you do about two episodes a week i depends sometimes i hit it really hard and i do one like every day for a month and then oh, sometimes i uh, sometimes i go a month without doing one it's been a while since i've done my last one i don't really have anybody solid booked um next week but 
I think that in uh, in August I'll, I'll I'll start hitting it hard again. But I've really I I've been focusing on writing my book, <laughs> so I actually have some words down. <laughs> when does the manuscript do? Uh, well, the manuscript is due uh, two days ago. That's, I, was, I knew that the word ago was going to be in this yeah. answer. If you're yeah, any, if we're going to be friends, it has to be that you, you know. But you know what's fascinating? Okay, so you're a regular person, or at least you're more of you're someone who will come on and do this, even though you're overdue. Try to book Michael Malice when he's working on when he's working on something. No can do. He, yeah. he and that, I mean I respect that so much. That's how you get things done, and that's that's. That's how people apparently make money in the legal professions is by really, really focusing and podcasting. See, so, so Michael has, he, he's obviously a wildly successful podcaster. Although I'm not sure that I would sell underwear. And then I don't think I could sell it as well as he could because, you know, I don't, I don't, don't necessarily bring to the table what he does in the underwear department. Um, but he's able to do it and not get distracted by it. He, he, you know, he compartmentalizes things appropriately. Um, it is, you know, it, it, it is a little bit of a challenge, but I, I, I think something has to, I think something is going, going to change. I mean, the fact that right now there's so much independence still available that in other words, guys such as yourself and I, and even people who are someone like Jack, Jack Basovic, okay, mm -hmm. so who's immense and who has, whose associations are much more explosive. You know, we work with Roger and, you know, he's grown a lot, Jack has. He's he podcasts and he's, you can get his podcast on all the major platforms podcasting is sort of this car i mean they they tried to take down remember the, what they tried to do with joe rogan you know the the hippies well, took they were going to take their music off right um, what was it um neil young no but which which was the um oh, it was the ivermectin oh it was a uh, spotify but they, they were they took their music off spotify i'm going to show you that failed that really failed but even i even if it had not failed, I don't think it would have led to a cascade of similar pressure on people of less influence, which is everyone. I mean, Joe right. is, just say Joe, I never met the guy, never spoke to the guy, but I mean, it's, it's podcasting. I'm going to call him Mr. I'm not, you know, he's Mr. Rogan, very talented, very influential. <laughs> Actually, there's one person, when I speak to um, Robert George, I call him Professor George, because he's a professor where I went to college. And he's also just such a respectable person. Just, you know, just not ready to call him Robert. And he, he hasn't invited me to either. Um, I don't really understand why, given the ability, the technological capacity, such as, for example, think of YouTube, how, how YouTube will take you down in a second and demonet or demonetize you at least. Sure, got a lot uh, of problems know. with that. You have already. Yeah, yeah. It, so, so, but on the audio side, have, have, you probably have not had related problems, right? Same episode on Apple or Spotify, no problem. 
Right. They're not doing that. YouTube is that's, that's interesting. Tell me about your YouTube uh, problems. So I had, um, the Roger Stone episode that I did was taken down once because he briefly mentioned election fraud. He didn't actually claim that the election was stolen. He um, just mentioned the argument. And then... Um, In other words, that, I, was the, that was their pretext. Exactly. And then, uh, so what I did was I waited the, uh, I think it's 60 days or 90 days for the strike to go away. I, just reposted. Re I reposted it, but I removed that. I removed the comment he made. And then they took it down again, saying that he was, um, uh, it was COVID misinformation. <laughs> so so I, I think that they're just after him, you know? And so I've had that issue where I've had strikes and I've had to wait 90 days before posting controversial stuff. And I'm, and I'm very careful. I don't talk about uh, COVID related stuff. I don't talk about election fraud related topics with my guests um, just because it's, you know, a, a pain in the ass to deal with YouTube. Um, but it, the rules are so stringent that, if you have any sort of a conservative bent, um, it's almost impossible not to break them, even when you're being careful. Yeah, I had it. I actually, I, I did. I posted uh, an interview from by Josh Lecac. Leca mm -hmm. I don't know how we say it in English. Lecach, Lecac. This uh, podcast has a funny name, but it was a. It was about. I, I talked at length about election fraud because of my experiences in Philadelphia on the Trump legal team. And they, they, they took it, they took it down. They took it down. Yeah. YouTube took it down. And, you know, I mostly am interested in fighting these fights on behalf of my clients. It's not as if I had something to say in that interview that added any particular special value. You could, you can find it on Rumble. You can find it elsewhere. Sure. You know, it's not not worth the aggravation, but it, it's it is so troubling to realize that there are adults running these companies, and they're so so handcuffed, so bound to these. Per, to personalities and categories of discussion that they consider to be beyond the pale. That even, even in 2022, they're still clicking boxes as if nothing has been learned, as if all the secrets aren't out, as if we still believed in, the, you know, in vaccination sure. and cloth masks. Uh, you know, uh, this morning I saw when I wake up, when I woke up a tweet from someone who had been locked out, a doctor, or maybe that was yesterday. She'd been locked out because she retweeted uh, an article from, oh, here it is, Chris Held. I don't know if you saw that this morning. I'll get that screen up here. I got an email that my Twitter account is locked for sharing this Epic Times piece. Okay. Violating potentially harmful information related to COVID-19. And this is, I guess I was better before. COVID, and this is the, just a headline from, from Epic Times. COVID vaccines increase menstrual irregularities a thousandfold, fetal abnormalities a hundredfold. Doctors, there's analysis. Twitter. 
I mean, obviously, and I think you alluded to this, obviously they're not, they don't really think that they're affecting the conversation on these topics anymore. They're focusing on certain people to make sure that they stay within narrowly drawn lanes. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things that come to mind with that. The first thing that comes to mind is what outcome do they think that they are preventing? Right. Right. That's what, Which is basically exactly. what you're saying. Right. Yeah. Right. What outcome do they think that they're preventing um, by, by doing the censorship? And the second thing that comes to mind is, you know, if you go back 10 years to 2012, there was virtually no censorship on, on social media, except for, you know, explicit racial slurs, perhaps, or, or something like that. Um, and not much. I, I mean, I mean, everything was fine though. It's like, we had total freedom of speech on the internet before, and it's not like it resulted in any sort of, um, catastrophe. So, so that leads me to believe that the only real function of the censorship is to silence a certain political persuasion. And I'm not saying that all conservatives don't believe in the vaccines or all conservatives think ivermectin is great. You can't really lump every, every person of a particular political persuasion into, um, you know, being on one, one side or the other of any given issue, um, just because people are complicated, but, um, it, it, it seems to really be hyper-focused on, on, on targeting conservative voices. And the only, the only reason I can think of is because these left-leaning institutions really don't want Republicans to have any influence in our culture. I think, I think it's a little bit less narrowly. I mean, I think that that's included. But my, my thinking is that their thinking is that's a point of view. That's a discussion, an argument, an attack on our political power and the right. political power of those we trust and who work for us that we're not going to allow it to happen. Like, it's not, he's a Republican. It's right. These are points that are bad, that, that harm the oligopoly that is running the country now. They, do you ever ask yourself, do they know they're the baddies? Do, you know, have they turned the corner and realized that, yeah, this is what we're doing? Or do you think they're the, the rationalization, the rationalizing is so is strong enough that they really go to bed every night feeling that they're on the side of the angels? I think an overwhelmingly small number of people actually think that they're a bad person. Chase, I'm reminded of a conversation I had very recently with, with a good friend of mine who, who was telling me about how in the, in the healthcare field, there are all these people who were universally acknowledged to be thought leaders, people who would, uh, of course, be the one you'd want to have keynoting your conference. Once this COVID-19 um, Lysenkoism took place, they just went, you know, e either they went one way or the other. They either became authoritarian censors or they were written off as lunatics and quacks and people who couldn't be trusted. People who were, in many respects, almost created some of these fields. Hmm. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, I mean, if you ever, in fact, I'm, I think that leads to a good question. Is there anyone that you're, that you would be afraid to have on your podcast because they're they have been so you know you look you had on roger stone that was pretty daring did you learn from that that maybe you can't have people who are who are that radioactive 
Yeah, I don't know. I, there's no one that I wouldn't have on if I was genuinely interested in speaking to them, just because that would be that would be a compromise on my integrity that I wouldn't be comfortable with to say no to somebody that I would love to talk to just because I'm worried about the ramifications on myself. But that being said, you know, I, I do think there's, you know, the Alex Joneses are, are hot, the, the Roger Stones are hot. But the thing that's really interesting to me about the, the censorship and the disregard of experts that don't go along with the narrative, right? Because they're always about, about trust the science, tr trust the experts. But then when experts disagree with the narrative, that's when the censorship comes in. It, it doesn't really seem to me that these big tech platforms like Twitter and YouTube are actually doing the censorship because they care about saving lives and genuinely believe in the narrative that they're pushing. Uh, and the reason that that seems apparent to me is because you can advocate for war in Afghanistan or withdrawal in Afghanistan, no problem. That has way more implications in terms of lives lost, innocent people suffering, that type of issue, right? Than, than perhaps COVID, whether or not children should wear masks in school, right? Given the numbers that we know of, of children who died of COVID, it's like 1,100, I think, since the beginning of the pandemic, most of whom I think had like leukemia and stuff. So the point I'm trying to make is uh, it seems to me that we were in a situation with this pandemic where there was a tremendous amount of pressure applied to the populace in that people didn't know if they were going to have their jobs. People were forced to be locked down. And I think the censorship was more an attempt to maintain order in society than it was necessarily an attempt to actually save lives. Because if you have all these people raging and disagreeing about the seriousness of a pandemic and, and whether or not a vaccine is safe or there's a, there, there's a safe uh, treatment like ivermectin, then you know as the pressure gets more and more intense in terms of the economic pains and financial pains people are feeling, the lack of liberty that they're experiencing, um, I think that those controversial or those, those combating narratives could catalyze problems for leadership. That they didn't that they were trying to prevent. So ultimately, I think that this was this this was like a psyop in the sense that they were really just trying to maintain order. Well, I mean, I, I'll take a, uh, I'll try to add a, a, another shading to that, which is, sure. I think it's entirely plausible that both the government, the governments, and social media companies really intended to do everything they could to be good citizens and to and to be conscientious, and then they realized, whoa, this works. Yeah. This, this could, we can do anything with this. And being the kind of people they are, they did. I, I mean, I don't believe, I don't believe there's any evidence for the proposition, lab leak or not, um, loss of function, gain of function or not. Uh, there's lot, there was lots of irresponsibility. There was lots of risky stuff going on and i think fauci is a you know is a human a human rights criminal um but i don't think there was a um conspiracy you know to have a pandemic and then to use the power that resulted from it for evil i think that there was a pandemic there was panic um there was a, a, a power grab and a phenomenal lack of pushback. The judiciary ruled over, rolled over, uh, completely jettisoning constitutional rights under the rubric of emergencies when emergencies are exactly, those are the pressure points at which constitutional rights are supposed to win, not lose. Right. Um, legislatures, 
either permitted governors to assert emergency powers or granted them and then never came back to retrieve them for the democratic process. Um, and, the, and, and the press and the social media companies fell right into line. Once you realize you can do that, but I think you make a good point there, there it, by so over, by so over playing their hands, I think they have, and I, I wrote about this a while ago, they have turned so many people to levels of radical radicalism in their view of their relationship with the state mm -hmm. and with corporate America and with the media that they'll never get those people, they'll never get us people back. They'll never get us back. And they've enabled us to identify and ascertain that there is a hardcore of 15, 20, 25% who are absolutely brain dead, who, who will go along with anything, yes. anything. And no and they'll, rat, they'll rat other people out who don't go along with it. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's and that's far far more than you need to set up an authoritarian or totalitarian regime with with full genocide with full genocide. I said years ago, anyone who says never again is just saying is just saying slogans. God decides whether there will be tragedies of that of the, of that scale, but the fact is. It will, if something happens, it will happen. And it, there's those people. So, you know, what have we learned? We've learned that a lot, they lost some, they gained some. Hopefully something happens in the midterms, which I think everyone believes will happen. That will have sure. some kind of impact. You know, will it be a veto-proof majority? Uh, probably not, but lots of, lots of stuff's gonna happen. Chase, before we go, Give us a heads up on the book. It's, it has the same name as your podcast, which is keeping in your utter mon, mon, mono, what is it? Monomaniacal focus on one message, one America. Is it the book of the podcast? Is it your philosophy? Is it, um, what, what, what is it? It's going to be. Um, yeah, it's basically, um, it's Hollywood basically. Pictures. It's basically a political philosophy book. I would call it a policy book. The first half is more of like a, like a, a political philosophy and the second half is uh, specific on um, uh, each chapter is dedicated to a different political issue, be it education, healthcare, you name it, sort of like a policy book. Why don't um, I write a book? You should, you should write yeah. a book. Yeah, but I want right. to, I want to ask you something, Ron, before we get off, because uh, yeah, sure. you, know, when you mentioned genocide and you, and you, you uh, catalyzed this question in me. So, you know, late 1920s, Germany, unemployment was as high as 30%. And that was sort of, that set the, the foundation for Hitler to blame the Jews for everything. Everyone wanted to look for something, someone to blame for the, for the, for the, the state of desperation that Germany was in, right? So my question to you is, if the United States reaches a similar situation where one in three people are unemployed, the, there's hyperinflation, just hypothetically speaking, if, if we were to, to be in a similar socioeconomic status as Germany was in the late 1920s, who do you think America would blame this time? Who would be the victim of the next genocide? It would not, it, it will be predominantly white males. It won't be, it won't be genocide. I, 
what I said before, and I meant it, was that the mentality and the structure are there hmm. so that if people such as this were allowed to retain power and they thought it were necessary, genocide would be possible. But hmm. I often make this point, the difference between Weimar, Weimar Germany and 22nd century America are vast. You could have massive unemployment as we did in the, during the depression and you could have and you and you could have the kind of stratification of and polarization of groups that we didn't have until obama in this country in the, in the previous generation which would make it look much like germany in that respect but we what 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 the weimar republic didn't had didn't have was a constitutional tradition a democratic tradition even really a rule of law tradition the the german state itself was it was a relatively recent concatenation of 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 many many nationalities and to to a large extent the nazis were able to play off rivalries within the principalities um that you know work work to their advantage there also hadn't been you know everyone in germany was was suffering not only from economic severe economic dislocation but from the moral uh the moral uh nadir and the and the nadir of morale of morale that had resulted from the loss of world war one and the treaty of versailles which was so poorly uh you know thought out so these are just some, just some of, some of the reasons why it won't happen here. Hmm. What we have to worry about is, will it, how, we have to make sure that here remains the here that we know. Uh, you know, some people ask, well, aren't we, I mean, when I say, is it going to be the same here? There, things have happened in the last couple of years, and the January 6th commission is a really rather scary manifestation of it that we really didn't think could ever happen here things that are absolutely in the nature of totalitarianism and the problem with them isn't just that they're happening it's that there's so much among the elites again that there's so much comfort with allowing them to happen and to have so much influence over the national debate i mean I, I don't think there's anyone listening to this who doesn't understand what's wrong with the January 6th committee. It is a show trial. The fact that no one's going to be executed as a direct result of a verdict in this proceeding doesn't make it any less of a show trial. The show trials in the Soviet Union had nothing to do with the determination of guilt or innocence. They were merely entertainment. They were, they were propaganda and the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany, they were propaganda that was meant to influence public opinion so that the regime could do whatever it wanted. Those kinds of, so, so someone asked me, someone whose opinion I respect quite a bit, is, are, is this kind of behavior going to result in pushback so that actually there's a radical right-wing um, response which results in a dictatorship of the right or maybe in turn of the left because enough deplorables 
do something, you know, get goaded into doing something stupid, which in, in, in the case of if you're being a Trump supporter means um, gathering on the street together and discussing politics. I don't think so. I, well, first of all, the right wing reaction it simply isn't the way the American right operates. There is no radical react. Uh, there's no the radical right on, in, in the United States has no influence. They're mostly lunatics, uh, you know, in the cornfields. They're not. They're the favorite subject of the Anti-Defamation League and the SPLC and the Biden administration and Democrats in Congress. But they're a non-meaningful influence on policy and in and of themselves, but as boogeymen, they're, they're everything. In fact, those are the Jews. Those are the Jews, uh, you know, but Republicans and conservatives are not prepared, I'm glad to say, and I know that there are people who think I shouldn't be glad to say, uh, people uh, like my friend Jesse, you know, Jesse Kelly come, comes on very strong on this. No, we, be, we need to be prepared to do whatever they would do to us. And I get beat up quite a bit for saying it is not a victory to become what you despise. Right. And it simply isn't in our blood. We, I'm not, if the, the reason I'm being a conservative, the reason I'm doing my podcast, the reason I take my shots, the reason I lost two positions in uh, very well-paid partnerships isn't because I dream of a right-wing dictatorship. It's because I want to preserve the greatness of constitutional Republican small r freedom in America. And it is not a victory for me to, even if I couldn't, by the way, how you couldn't because you'd never get the media on your side, academia, the, the, the grain of the culture wouldn't permit it. And I think that's fine because we won't, I really believe, unlike, unlike those, and it's, it's a heck of a way to, to end this because these are where the comments are going to be on, you know, to the extent that people comment at all on, on, on the podcast. I don't think it's going to go that way. I don't think it's going to go that way, but I do think that vigilance and the pushing back the, what, the way you're doing it and the way I'm doing it. And, you know, so many other friends of ours are doing it is what we have to continue doing. And um, coming off the July 4th weekend, which is what we just did, uh, this, you know, people will be seeing this in a few weeks, but, it was certainly interesting to see what has become of Independence Day in America. Hmm. Hopefully we'll be back to one America someday, but I don't think it'll be the same one America that I remember, so even, if it's, even, if, even if it's the one that, that, it's, that you remember. Chase, fantastic. This is going to be a great, a great episode. I appreciate you for having me on. It was an honor and a pleasure to be here. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.